Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers. As always, I am joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. And we are here to talk today about Christian Yelich. So we will be having a special guest towards the tail end of the show to discuss more of the analytics regarding Yelich, kind of what he's seen so far throughout his career, what to expect throughout the duration of his contract. Um, But I wanted to back up today and just go over this crazy trade tree that backs up to 1993 that helped result in the Brewers getting Christian Yelich. So before we get to all of that, Trevor, how are you doing today? I I am good. I am excited for hearing about Christian Yelich and what he's going to do in, you know, 2030 and towards the end of his contract. And I'm expecting... Big things from Christian Yelich, and hopefully our guest is as well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, it's weird. Like It feels like the Yelich signing was so long ago, but it happened just days before the whole coronavirus thing broke out. So it feels like we never got to do deep dives into this or got to you know, kind of talk a lot about it because all of a sudden the world got taken over by the virus and just kind of put everything to a halt. So... It's really a good thing that they got the contract done when they did, because if this would have broken out beforehand, would the extension have happened? I, I don't know. <laughs> no, that was it. I, I I don't know how much this could have affected it. I imagine they still would have got a deal done, because obviously they wanted to get a deal done. But you're right. What What would this have done to affect that? Maybe, you know, it took a little bit longer to get it done, and then... Maybe in the middle of this, we got a little bit of glimmer of hope that the Brewers signed Christian Yelich, but I do think they wanted it done before the season anyways. So I think that was the goal for them, and I'm just glad we have Christian Yelich, who should be a two-time MVP um, for the next 10 years. (laughs) Well, hopefully more than two MVPs over the next couple of years. That would be be great. No, no, I'm saying... He should be already a two-time MVP. Oh, yeah, he should be. I agree. I agree. And that's just not as a biased Brewer fan. He should be. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not biased at all. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going to back up to 1993 and how the seventh-round selection of Mark Loretta ended up helping net Christian Yelich. Just process that for a second. 
1993. The Brewers acquired Christian Yelich in 2018. So you're probably thinking, how on earth is this even connected? Well, it's a crazy story. So like I said, it, it backs up to the draft selection of Mark Loretta. And in 1993, the Brewers were coming off a 92 win, or a 90 win season in 92. And that started kind of the end of Yount Molitor era. So Brewers lost a lot of talent and really kind of didn't do so well throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s, which is when people are going to remember Mark Loretta. He played a lot of games for the club. Um, ended up panning up be a, a pretty decent major leaguer, especially after he left Milwaukee. But in 2002, the Brewers traded him to Houston. And for the very famous way of trading in baseball, for two players to be named later. <laughs> Those guys ended up being Keith Ginter and Wayne Franklin. So Wayne Franklin would end up being traded by the Brewers eventually and would net them Carlos Villanueva. Which was which is a pretty good trade, but that kind of ends the Yelich trade tree branch from the Wayne Franklin standpoint. When you back up to Keith Ginter now, that's where the trade tree keeps going. He got traded to the A's in 2004, and the Brewers acquired Nelson Cruz and Justin Lair. So now I know you're thinking, what? The Brewers had Nelson Cruz? I mean, that's a surprise for some people. But I mean, at that point, Nelson Cruz was still developing. We didn't. There was no indications that he was going to end up being the player that he became later on in his career. So yeah, the, the Brewers had him for a brief period of time, and he was putting together some decent minor league seasons, but he ends up getting traded in the Carlos Lee trade to the Rangers. So he's part of that package deal, and the Brewers in return get Francisco Cordero, Lance Nix, and Kevin Mench. All three of those guys would play at the major league level for the Brewers in some capacity, and they all technically leave as free agents. Mention Knicks never really panned out, and the Brewers didn't get much out of them, but Francisco Cardero, probably the most well-known out of those three, was he was pretty good when he was with the Brewers, and he played well enough that when he signed with the Reds, the Brewers got a comp pick in the next year's draft. So that's how this trade tree is going to stay alive here. And so that would be in 2008. With that 32nd pick, the Brewers selected Jake Orderezzi, who keeps this tree alive. And Trevor is going to take this second half off here for me. Yeah, so Jake Odorizzi was then traded in 2010 um, along with Lorenzo Cain. Alcides Escobar and Jeremy Jeffress to get Zach Grinke. That was obviously a huge trade for the Brewers organization as I freaked out when it happened. Um, but in 2012, then, Grinke was traded to the Angels and got us Gene Segura, Johnny Helwig, and Ariel Pena. Um, and then... Fast forwarding to 2016, in January, Segura was traded to the Diamondbacks. When and then this was when um, the Brewers were just kind of trying to get trading key pieces and trying to get some um, different prospects and assets that way. Orlando Arcia was about to become the everyday shortstop there, um, and what the Brewers got back in return was Aaron Hill, Chase Anderson, and Isan Diaz. Uh, Aaron Hill was traded to the Red Sox 
Chase Anderson was traded to the Blue Jays last offseason. But in 2018, to acquire the, again, what should be two-time MVP Christian Yelich, in 2018, the Brewers trade Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jordan Yamanto, and Isan Diaz, who, again, was part of that Gene Segura trade that we got back. So, basically, from my eyes, we traded Gene Segura and got Christian Yelich. So, that <laughs> is the best trade of all time. <laughs> Overall, I think this... Trade tree is absolutely wild that you can trace this back to 1993. Um, and the fact that it goes down to getting a comp pick to kind of continue this is it's just a wild tree. And the fact that you can trace it back that far, if we have to wait that long for another trade again, I might stab myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's really worth the wait. I mean, you don't get MVPs every it day. It really is, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and to, to have two really this over this last decade is incredible in Braun and Yelich. So I'll I'll take the weight. I mean, I don't I don't really want to suffer through what the nineties and early two thousands brewers did again, but <laughs> that this tree is incredible and there's a lot of good players in there that and a lot of names that people recognize and even guys who are still contributing today, like that comp pick with Odorezzi in 2008, he's still pitching for the Twins out there today, and a lot of people didn't like that pick at the time. I mean, Gene Segura, sure, after he left the Brewers, it felt like he got better, <laughs> but I mean, he, he's still out there, and he's only, what, 30, 31 right now, so he's got many years left, and I think it's still too early to tell what, really happened with the Yelich trade like Lewis Brinson was the biggest prospect that the Brewers gave up and he's kind of came up and down Monty Harrison yeah yeah Yamoto is a low-end rotation guy currently and Isan Diaz was a catcher that just he hasn't really panned out necessarily to say the least so the Brewers are definitely obviously winning the trade despite giving up four pieces, and it was really like a swing-or-miss trade. I mean, it's it's ballsy by by Stearns to kind of do that. I mean, you look at how depleted the, the farm system is now. Like, if, if that trade wouldn't have panned out, we'd be in trouble, even more so than we are right now <laughs> in terms of the farm because he gave up. We spend all this time stacking up the farm, and then you're going to – you're basically going – all these guys in or bust and it worked out. So I love the trade and I'm glad it got, it got us Christian Yelich, especially for the club friendly contract that he was still on and, and did sign with the Brewers again to, to keep him here. Can you imagine if Stearns makes this trade and we get like Miami Marlins, Christian Yelich instead of the Milwaukee Brewers version of Christian Yelich. Can you imagine would he would he still even be general manager if like we didn't get this type of Christian Yelich? <laughs> uh, I, I think he would. I wouldn't go as far as say he'd be fired, but uh, I mean Christian Yelich would definitely have would have contributed and helped us win ball games, but not to the level that he has like 2018 postseason run. I, that probably doesn't yeah. happen if Yelch doesn't turn his no. game up. I don't. I don't think we we don't make the playoffs in twenty eight eighteen or 
much less the freaking ridiculous run um, to one game away from the World Series. There's not a chance. Maybe maybe we get in as a wild card that year. Um, I don't remember exactly what the wild card situation looks like when we won when we got in that year. But overall, I don't think Christian Yelich, if he was that Miami Marlins, I don't think he changes it enough to win the types of games that we won and get us into playoffs the, really the last two years. So it it would have been really interesting to kind of see. I do think David Stearns is one of my favorite play, like people in the Brewers organization because he has done an amazing job, and this trade is a huge part of that. But if this trade busts, like he said, that you build up that farm system, you get a lot of – you give away a lot of really young, talented players here – and guys that had a lot of upside, and you go get Christian Yelich, and if it doesn't work out, uh, that that hurts a lot, especially the way the farm system is now. And part of the reason why it is the way it is right now is because we have to get Christian Yelich. But overall, um, I would do it again. I, I wouldn't want to wait that long. I wouldn't want to wait from 1993 to... 2018 when we acquired Yelich, but overall it was it was well worth it. And if we get a, another two-time MVP level player in 25 years from now, and it's a similar type of trade tree, it's they're they're always fun to go through. And and I I love thinking back that far to how how we got Christian Yelich when. I don't even know if he was born yet in 1993, but they were already thinking about Christian Yelich in 2018. <laughs> well, he had to have been born because he's older than me, so he he was just a little toddler still stuck in his thumb probably at that point. But yeah, Christian Yelich, obviously a great player. I guess the biggest question remains is how is he gonna how is his career gonna pan out throughout the rest of the 2020s and as we get closer to 2030. So that is why we brought an expert in to discuss that with us and to dive into the analytics, what to look for, and kind of maybe some projections on Christian Yelich's stats. So without further ado, we're going to transition into our interview next with Dr. Scott. All right, and we'd like to welcome to the show Brew underscore Maths from Twitter, or you might know him as... Dr. Scott, if you listen to other podcasts, Locked on Brewers, or if you're familiar with anything he does on Twitter, he posts a lot of sabermetric stuff out there, always producing good content. So he is here today to talk a little bit about Christian Yelich and kind of what to expect, and then we'll we'll see where the conversation goes. But Dr. Scott, how are you doing over there today? Thanks for joining the show. Great. Uh, I'm uh, happy to finally connect with you guys. We've been trying to do this for a few weeks, and we're going to make it happen today. Yeah, we uh, Trevor and I are both super excited, mainly because we get to talk about one of our favorite brewers and get to learn a little bit more about uh, how he might progress uh, throughout his his contract here, because it feels like he signed this big contract, then COVID happened, and you know, it kind of got hidden underneath right. all that, it feels like. So... <laughs> Um, I guess just getting us started here, talking a little bit about Christian Yelich, what have you noticed like throughout his career so far, like offensively? What things have changed and what are some things to like monitor going forward as he gets older? Well, if you're a Brewer fan, this is going to be all good news. Um, 
you asked me what has gotten better or what's changed uh, throughout his career in terms of his statistics. And I don't mean to be glib, but everything. His average, if we want to start there, went 282, 326, 329. His on-base percentage went 369, 402, 409. His slugging percentage went 439, 598, 671. So you can see over the last three years, every part of his offensive game has improved. His power, anybody who watches the Brewers or even pays attention to baseball knows that Yelich is now considered one of the premier power hitters in the game. That wasn't true two years ago. He, he could you know, hit 20 and showed flashes of power, but definitely was not hitting him at the 13.3 at-bats per home run clip that he's at now. I think his clip in, in uh, Miami was like 42 at-bats per home run. So he's hitting home runs at a clip that's, you know, three times, more than three times what he was doing before. So everything across the board is improving. If you look at his OPS plus, which kind of factors in league and ballpark factors, or tries to get them out of the way would be a better way to say it. The OPS plus has gone from 120 to 164 to 179. And so even if you try to, you know, dig into, is this a stadium effect or is he just getting lucky? Um, you find nothing. I mean, this guy, what he's doing is real. The only knock that I could kind of, you know, if we're going to watch something, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're going to force me to find a chink in the armor, he did regress a little bit against left-handed pitching in the second half of last year. Uh, he went from <laughs> from being superhuman to, I don't know, maybe only slightly superhuman. So it's not like he fell off, but that would that's really the only chink since he's been a brewer. And you look at, is this sustainable? Um, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Do you guys know what batting average on balls in play is, the BABIP? Yep, it's fun to say. I know it. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? I mean, I every time I have to think about it when I say it. But uh, but BIP is a, a useful statistic because what you can do is after a guy has 800 at-bats or plate appearances, is you can kind of look at that BIP at his ba as his baseline. Like, this is what you can expect from this guy. So uh, how do you apply that? Let's say a guy starts the season hitting 420. You know, and he's going crazy and he's everyone's like, oh, my God, he's going to hit 400 this year. The way to check if it's real or not is you look at his career BABIP and you compare it to what it is for that year. If his, you know, his career BABIP is, let's say, at 330 and the year he's hitting out of his mind, it jumps up to 400 or 500. It's probably not sustainable. So that BABIP uh, that you establish after 800 plate appearances that career number is kind of the baseline like i alluded to before yelly now his career babip is 358 and so you'd expect that number to kind of fall around that range over the last three years it was 336 373 and 355 all kind of right on track with his career average which would suggest that he's not the beneficiary of luck this isn't just him getting lucky or chance, you know, falling on his side. This is him producing with his skill set in a way that will be sustainable. Yeah, that is that's certainly good news. And you mentioned like his batting average on base percentage um, throughout his career, and all those numbers are you know pretty pretty good for a major league batter. Um, <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, like, how does that? Like, obviously, he's been good at that throughout his career, even when he was in Miami. But as a brewer, you mentioned the power and the home runs have been 
increasing tremendously. How are those going to progress throughout his career? Can we expect him to keep mashing all these home runs, or when is that going to start to drop off? Well, good. if you're going to really dig into um, is this sustainable, is it real, we can't just look at home run, you know, because that, that doesn't tell us a lot. Uh, what we should look at are these stat cast numbers. Um, if we just look at if it was a home run or not, uh, you know, it leaves out a lot. So exit velocity, launch angle, contact percentage, barrel percentage, hard hit percentage. Um, and then you can even get into plate discipline, first first pitch swing percentage, how much he's whiffing, how much he's chasing pitches. You start to look at those more advanced metrics that I just mentioned, and that should give you a better idea of, is this real? Is the power stemming from something he's doing? Or is it just, you know, he's facing bad pitching? You can parse all that stuff out. So let's look at his exit velocity over the last three years. It's gone from 90.4 to 92.3 to 93.1. And so he's hitting the ball harder and harder. His launch angle now, it jumped up big time last year. And it uh, you look at all of his numbers and he's, he's getting the ball in the air more. So he's hitting less grounders. And anybody who watches baseball or knows anything about baseball knows that line drives and fly balls they lead to good things a lot of the time. Um, they're better than grounders. We can say that for sure. And he's keeping the ball off the ground. So his launch angle went from 4.7, 4.7 to 11.2. So there was this big jump from 2018 to 2019. Yelly himself has joked about the launch angle and says, I don't know how one would even go about, you know, <laughs> fine tuning that or changing that. And so I don't think he's intentionally going about uh, changing his launch angle, but Whatever he's doing at the plate is working because he's getting more aggressive, but maintaining his contact. Um, how can I say he's getting more aggressive? Well, his first pitch swing percentage has gone from 19.1 to 27.8 to 29.5. He's chasing more pitches than he ever has in his career, and he's whiffing more. Last year, he whiffed 28.2%. The year before, it was 23. The year before, it was 22. So he's clearly getting more aggressive. When you see that, He's whiffing and chasing more. One could get worried until you see all the, I mean, the rest of his numbers. <laughs> he's maintaining contact. He's hitting home runs. He's, uh, his slugging percentage nearly doubled. I'm being facetious, but I mean, it went from 439 to 671 in two years. So his slugging percentage jumping up that much justifies these risks or trade-offs that he's taking or making. Yeah, so with... The whole launch angle thing, I mean, it's it's kind of weird growing up playing baseball. Like, they always tell you line drives or grounders, like, don't try to pop the ball in there. And obviously, they're trying to get you from doing that really overarching kind of start at your knees and swing up to your shoulder <laughs> right. type of swing. Um, but it's just, like, such a big change from what I was taught when I was younger. But obviously, with the launch angle, starting in, like, maybe 2030, do you think – Maybe 40 home runs is realistic for Christian Yelich. Well, um, <laughs> if you look at if you look at all the aging curves in you know that they've done they, when they try to figure out when do guys fall off, when does their production start to go down? There's two or three kind of big things you can take away from all the studies that I've seen. Anyway, you're going to peak as a major league offensive player around 23 to 26 years old. You're going to start to fall off a little bit in that 28 to 30 range there's a steady decline between 30 and 35 and then 35 after that it's kind of that's when you see the rapid decline 
most guys are out of the league by the time they're 38. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the pattern that you would see with the average player. That's not Yelich. And usually superstar players do better than this average that, that we're talking about. They tend to last a little bit longer. They tend to, you know, it, it matters with how good you are uh, at the beginning of all this <laughs> and what you're starting with. It's relative is what I'm saying. So even if Yelich declines, it's going to keep him in a range that, you know, he'll still be producing at a, at a decent level. 40 home runs in 2030. Um, that's a little hard to project because that's a decade out. But what we can say is that Stearns is a master. He has made this contract go as long as one would expect Yelly to produce at a high level. You see guys fall off around 35, 36. Yelich right now is 28. Um, we have him for the next seven, eight years. Uh, and so that 35 to 36-year-old range where he's going to be when his contract expires, it's pretty ideal. Uh, <laughs> we've got an MVP through his prime or through his, uh, you know, the, the best part of his career. And we have him locked up in a town that loves him. And with a fan base that rallies around him, I mean, it's the ideal situation to have that guy in our town for the next, you know, nearly decade. He should continue to hit 40 home runs, I would say, for the next five years. I mean, you don't want to get too mm -hmm. cocky, but if you look at the numbers, that's what they tell you. Huh. That's that's awesome. I I ran a poll on Twitter kind of asking the same thing, what what general people thought, how many home runs he would hit at that age. And most people thought um, there was 37% for uh, that voted in between 16 and 24 home runs, 37% that voted 25 and 30, and then just 22% said 30 plus. Um, so yeah, obviously 2030 is a long ways away. And I found the part you were mentioning about like him being aggressive and swinging more and whiffing more, all that was really interesting and in that kind of... And the whole launch angle thing, and I think it might have been Christian Yelich a couple weeks ago. I saw him tweet out in regards to launch angle. Like I always thought, you know, it was what Trevor mentioned too—that kind of like uppercut in the swing. But it actually, what I'm learning is it it deals a little bit with more like where you're making contact, like a little bit farther out, I exactly. guess. So exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot more to launch angle than just your swing pattern, I guess, which is which is cool. So, yeah, he's kind of at that age, like you said, where, you know, he's in his prime playing very well. And could it just be that him being so aggressive is he's just seeing the ball really well? Do you think how much do you think that helps um, with his numbers right now? <laughs> I've heard superstar hitters, um, you know, and I don't want to compare him to Barry Bonds, but I've heard Barry Bonds say things like when I was on, the ball looked like a beach ball. He, it looked huge. Like he could, he knew where it was going. He could be, see it the whole way. And there was a, a comfort in the process. He just knew that he was going to succeed. Uh, and I think that that's what we're starting to see in Yelich. It's hard to explain his power search. A lot of people like to say, oh, it's Miller Park. And I, there's some truth in that because of the right field, uh, you know, the, the short porch and right. But if you look at all the park factor numbers and you look at the statistics, the Brewers are kind of in the middle of the field, if it, Miller Park, I should say anyway, in terms of park factor. And so, you know, what is producing this huge power surge? It's tough to say, but it's been two years now and 
you look at all the numbers, including the stat cast numbers that I've alluded to and kind of the plate discipline and anybody who knows anything about statistics uh, would be hard pressed to say anything other than this is real and sustainable. If you want to really dive into stats that hit, you know, kind of the core of what we're talking about, his contact percentage over the last three years, 77, 76, 76, his barrel percentage over the last three years, which means kind of like what, what you were alluding to. It's with the launch angle. It's where you hit the ball. It's how you make contact. Um, his barrel percentage over the last three years, 7.0, 12.9, 15.8. And then his hard hit percentage um, has gone 46.1, 50.8, All of those are far above major league average. His barrel percentage last year was 15.8. And I think the major league average was 6.1. Wow. So it gives you kind of an idea of how much better he is than the average uh, major leaguer. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, in fact. Yeah, the dude is a monster. <laughs> and uh, as long as we're kind of diving into some of these metrics here, to the eye test to me last year, if we're going to flip over to his defense, I thought he maybe regressed a little bit. I know he's a former gold glover and all that, but do you have any statistical support to back up my theory on that or what's going yeah. on on that end? You, your eye is good. Um, you know, I... Anybody who watched him closely over the last four years, I think, even the last two years, would have noticed a difference. 2018 was even better than 2019 in terms of defense. If we look at his fielding percentage or some of these, um, you know, higher end defensive metrics, it's tough to know exactly what they are saying. Like, let's say defensive runs saved. Let's look at that. Over the last three years, it was negative six. And then six in 2018, positive six in 2018, and then positive six in 2019. So that would suggest that 2018 and 2019 were very similar. Um, But if you look at the stat cast numbers behind, you know, the more simple defensive metrics, you can see what's going on with Yelly a little bit better. Um, Now, if you look at 2016, his average start distance from home plate was 310 feet. If you look at 2019, his average start distance from home plate was 326 feet. That's the furthest it's ever been in his career. And so since uh, over the last three, four years, he's been backing up um, in terms of his starting position. He it it almost seems like he's taking a mentality of I'm instead of covering all the field and ranging around, I'm going to start in the back, keep the ball in front of me and, and come up on plays. Uh, And so it seems like it's an intentional approach-based kind of a change. Uh, If you look at the components of what he's doing out there, his reaction time, that has been below average his whole career. He's never had a good reaction time, and it's been consistent. His burst, he had a decent burst three, four years ago um, when he won that gold glove. He, He definitely had it. And burst is how quick he's getting off of his feet and moving and get moving towards the ball they they time this and so burst is a real quick thing his burst in 2016 was 0.1 seconds 2017 it was 0.1 seconds negative 0.3 in 2018 and negative 2.0 in 2019 and so he's not jumping off the ball but if you look at that in relation to you know and contextualize it with what we said before how he's starting deeper that makes a little bit of sense there's not as much uh, 
of pressure to, to burst in certain directions if you're starting further back. Uh, you can come up on a lot more plays. And then you look at the route, what route he's taking to the ball. They even track that. And that has been elite through his career. He's really good at tracking the ball and getting there. But something has changed in terms of his burst time um, and how far he's starting away from the plate. Is that him trying to mitigate you know, things like he, he's recognizing he's slowing down? Um, I don't know. Or is it something less ominous and nefarious, like maybe it's just him, you know, changing the way he approaches things because it's Miller Park. Uh, it's tough to say, but his defense did definitely fall off uh, last year. And it went from above average to slightly below average. And so he's vacillating around that major league average. And based on the fact that he has a gold glove in his past, he has produced at such a high level in the field, and he's such an athlete. I would expect him to get back to that average range or maybe even a little bit better. Yeah. So basically what I'm hearing is you're expecting him to be somewhere kind of in the middle of where he was in that gold glove year to where he had been the past couple of years with the Brewers. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say, but if we're talking about a fall off based on declining athleticism, that's one thing, but I find that hard to believe. You know, the guy's at the peak of his game. He's an MVP. He's a pro. He's 28, uh, 27. You know, he's right in the pinnacle of his <laughs> humanity. I mean, he's as strong as he should be. So I wouldn't expect that to be the case. I'm guessing, based on what I kind of just stumbled through, um, you know, with the reaction times and the burst times and the route, uh, there's no clean way to talk about that stuff because it's so complex. And if you're getting to that level where you're having to pick apart his game and figure out what's wrong, you know, you have to go to the minutia to figure out, okay, what's changed here? It seems to me like that's usually correctable, you know? Um, and if it's not him losing speed, then, you know, it, it should be adjustable. Let's look at his speed. Um, his sprint speed over the last three years has gone from 28.4 feet per second to 28.7 feet per second over the last two years. So his speed actually got better. I guess if you're going to put a gun to my head and make me say, you know, what's going on with Yelly's defense, I would say he's trying to figure out how to play Miller Park and he should get better at it. Yeah, and of course he had like some lingering back issues last year that might have, you know, played a factor. Who knows if switching over to back to left field here now in the future whenever we get baseball going would make any sort of difference or heck, you know, if there's going to be a universal dh this year <laughs> then yeah. then that might change it too so <laughs> he played left when he won the gold glove so i think mm. that it, it's going to be comfortable for him and we saw in spring training how comfortable he looked in left so yeah i think that it's not just brewers fans trying to you know wishful think use wishful thinking we're putting him back in left could lead to a resurgence Awesome. Speaking of resurgence, this is a perfect transition. Trevor can never have a host on here without talking about Corbin Burns, especially <laughs> someone with the sabermetric genius that you have. So, <laughs> Trevor, do you have a Corbin Burns question for Dr. Scott? Um, I think the main one, and I feel like one all Brewers fans want to know and really want it to be the case. Can he get back to that 2018 Corbin Burns is, or is there something in the advanced stats that tells us, you know, 2019 is going to be more the Corbin Burns to expect. Corbin Burns 
is the enigma on the roster because if you look at the high-end stats, his movement, uh, you know, the spin rate, anything that would suggest um, he should be elite is there. You look at his stat cast numbers and compare them to guys like Verlander, and they're right there with spin rates in terms of velocity. And so what separates a guy like Verlander and Burns? And the answer to that is nobody knows. <laughs> we can hypothesize. And a lot of people, um, the, the thing I've heard the most that seems to make the most sense is it's, it's a matter of learning how to use the spin. Uh, so Burns clearly has something in his grip, in his hand uh, that he was born with that allows him to spin the ball at a rate that most people can't or never will hope to. He also has the ability to throw almost 100 miles per hour. And so when you combine those two things, you know that you have an arm built to dominate. The key is, can he fine tune it and distribute his pitches in a way that keeps hitters off balance? You would think with what he has in his tool belt that he should be able to, but some guys never put it together and it's usually sad and we forget about them, uh, you know, after a few years and, you know, they turn into the, not to use names, but like the, the Derek Turnbows and the, the what ifs, the guys who kind of flash in the pan and then what the heck happened to them. Uh, you hope that doesn't happen with Burns. And based on the way that they're handling him, I wouldn't expect that it to. Uh, they're giving him every chance. It seems like counsel is behind him. It, fans were ticked off last year, you know, that he was getting high leverage innings. Um, and they, they kept putting him in there, though, you know, in these high leverage situations. And uh, he didn't do so hot. But like I was implying, they see something that is elite. I see something that is elite in the numbers. Anybody who tracks this guy through the minor leagues or has coached him says, I, you know, he's bound for greatness. <laughs> but <laughs> all that's just talk because what we have to have at the end of the day is this X factor. Can he put it all together? And um, time will tell. Yeah. And I think for me, the thing that even though he was bad last year and he was truly really bad last year, um, <laughs> when, when he came out and we saw that 96 mile an hour cut fastball or cutter, whatever you want to call it, like the stuff is obviously there. And, I imagine that's what council is clinging to, and they're just trying to get someone to be able to get him to a point of realizing all of that talent and potential that he has in that arm because his arm talent is just incredible. And hopefully we can get back to seeing him at that 2018 Corbin Burns because he's going to be a lot of fun to pair with Josh Hader if he can get back there. If he can combine that movement and his fastball with the slider he has, he has one of the best sliders in all of in the world. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. I'm sure you are if you're a fan. Um, but last year he threw his slider 273 times. Uh, it averaged 87.9 miles per hour. And the spin rate was 2,845. That probably doesn't mean a lot to the average fan, but that is very high. Most guys, I mean, we're talking 5%, you know, get up to there. Um, and so Burns, he's got it. Uh, you look at the horizontal movement on the pitch, his slider, 6.2 feet. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, 
that's crazy. His, the vertical movement is 0.7, and that's where a lot of people say that his problem is. He's got this sweeping motion with his pitch pitches, but they're kind of predictable in terms of where they're going to end up. And so if he can start to make the pitches dance just a little bit more, and I'm not going to pretend like I know how one, one does that, um, but if he can figure it out and put those small things together, he's going to be really hard to hit. He can throw five or six pitches, too. I mean... He's got it all. Yep, he's just got to go out and do it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. easier that's said it. than done, but <laughs> just go do it. <laughs> I mean, not to be right. a dead horse either, but I just want to compare. Let's look at his Burns fastball. I was digging these numbers up in the background trying to find these quick, and I got them. Burns fastball in 2019 versus Verlander's fastball in 2019. Burns threw 474 fastballs. Verlander threw 1,600. Burns averaged 95.3 miles per hour. Verlander averaged 94.6. Burns fastball, the, the spin rate on it is 25.72. Verlander's is 25.77. So those all look the same, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 95 to 94. Burns is actually better, you could maybe argue. But then you look at the expected batting average that those pitches led to. With Burns, it was 345. And with Verlander, it was 231. So what leads to that massive difference? That's the location. Yeah, it's got to be location, right? You'd think. And that has changed, too. We could, we could do a whole podcast on how Corbin Burns has changed his location over the last couple of years and if that's mattered or not. Um, but that, that is definitely part of it. Yeah, as, as fun as that sounds, I don't think we want to keep you here all day to talk about that. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for joining the show again. This has been really fun, and we will have to do it again sometime. So thank you. Yeah, you just let me know. I This is great, and I, I support everything you guys do. So bring it. <laughs> awesome. All right. And can you remind us one more time in case anyone doesn't know where people can find the work that you do? Yeah, brewmaths.com is the website where you can find everything. The articles have fallen off a little bit since baseball has, you know, uh, been taken away. But uh, I'll fire those things back up. I have been working on the website in the background to kind of refresh the logo recently. The big thing that um, I want to stress to people who listen, though, is make sure to follow on Twitter and check my pinned tweet. It's always a Brewers memorabilia raffle. We're giving away jerseys and 8x10s and something all the time. So make sure and get in on that. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.